Hello and welcome to this episode of Hope in the Psalms. My name is Ruth Douthit and I'm a teacher of God's Word and I welcome you to this podcast, Broken Vessels Mended by God. I'm doing a series of Hope in the Psalms to encourage you and hopefully inspire you. And this lesson we're going to be looking at Psalm 83. Do not keep silent, O God, do not hold your peace. And do not be still, O God. In our last lesson, we looked at Psalm 46, which was written by the sons of Korah to be sung in the tabernacle. Now in this lesson, we will look at Psalm 83 as a model prayer for Christians to pray for our enemies. Have you ever stopped to think about how we're supposed to pray for our enemies and why Jesus commanded that? As usual, to keep this uh, passage in proper context, let's ask the journalistic questions. Who? This psalm was written by Asaph, and it is the last of the psalms written by him. Many scholars believe Asaph, a Levite, was a tabernacle worship leader appointed by David. You can read about that in 1 Chronicles chapter 6. What? Psalm 83 is a song and a prayer for the enemies of Israel. Asaph makes an appeal to God for justice, for God to be glorified, and for the enemy to be humbled. Where was it written? Probably in Jerusalem, but they're not 100% sure. How was it written? As a song, to be sung in worship, and a prayer for our enemies to turn to a mighty God. Why was it written? As an appeal to God's justice over the enemies of Israel and to be sung in worship of God. When was it written? Well, some scholars believe it was written when the descendants of Lot, the Moabites, and the Ammonites were threatening Judah during Jehoshaphat's time. And you can read about that in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. From Matthew Henry's commentary of Psalm 83, this, in the singing of it, we may apply to the enemies of the gospel church, all anti-Christian powers and factions, representing to God their confederacies against Christ and his kingdom, and rejoicing in the hope that all their projects will be baffled, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. It is a song or psalm of Asaph. Now that we know this psalm in proper context, how might modern Christians pray or sing this psalm over our enemies, both the physical enemies and the spiritual? Our country and our people have many enemies, just like Israel, but we are commanded by God to pray for them. And we, I don't know about you, but I pray over America every day and Israel. And I pray and I have seen that God answers my prayers. He protects us. And I pray this over our current president and leaders of the land because we are commanded to in Scripture. We are under attack as Christians, and we need God's intervention. We're not attacked physically, but we are attacked in the spiritual realm. And I pray the enemies of Christians everywhere in America and in the world will be humbled and God will be glorified. What about you? How do you feel about praying for your flesh and blood enemies? Do you have any? What about the spiritual realm? What about praying for peace for Jerusalem 
end America. Is it important to do so or is it an act of utility? Let's look at the model prayer, how Christians should pray. Psalm 83, do not keep silent, O God, do not hold your peace, and do not be still, O God. The people of God were frustrated when these words were written. All around them, their enemies threatened them with attack. They were a small, tiny little country. Their desire to cut off, the, the enemy's desire to cut off Israel was well known. Does this sound familiar? Does Israel endure this today? Now, I've studied this same situation when I looked at Psalm 37. King David wrote this psalm out of frustration with his people because he saw that they were wanting to take up arms and go fight the enemy. And so did Asaph. He was seeing the same thing. In Psalm 83, he wrote, For behold, your enemies make a tumult, and those who hate you have lifted up their head. They have taken crafty counsel against your people and consulted together against your sheltered ones. They have said, Come, let us cut them off from being a nation, that the name of Israel may be remembered no more. Flesh and blood enemies of God still exist all around us. Paul also warned of the spiritual warfare we endure too. In other words, we are constantly under attack. To quit crying out to God would be crazy. Our situation requires constant communication with God, our general, on the battlefield. He is at the headquarters, so he has an overhead view of the battleground and can see where the enemy is encroaching on us. Wouldn't it be wise then to cry out to the one who can see where the enemy lies in wait, ready to destroy and attack us? Yes. Asaph understood this too. He wrote, For they have consulted together with one consent, they form a confederacy against you. In Psalm 83, Asaph provided modern Christians a perfect example of how to pray for our enemies. He cried out to God on behalf of the people, but then reminded the people of all that God had already done for them. He catalogs it in verses 6 through 12. The tents of Edom and the Ishmaelites, Moab and the Hagrites, Gabal, Ammon, Amalek, Philistia with the inhabitants of Tyre, Assyria also has joined with them. They have helped the children of Lot, Selah. Deal with them as with Midian, as with Sisera, as with Jabin, at the brook of Kishon, who perished at Endor, who became as refuse on the earth. Make their nobles like Oreb and like Zeb, yes, all their princes like Zabah and Zalmunna, who said, Let us take for ourselves the pastures of God for possession. Now let's analyze this list of enemies presented here, God, using God's word as our guide. Edom and the Ishmaelites, Moab and the Hagrites, these are direct descendants from Esau and Ishmael, men who went against God's will. Gabal, Ammon, Amalek, Philistia, and Tyre. These are modern-day Palestinians. The fall of the king of Tyre was used for a metaphor for the fall of Lucifer. Assyria, which is considered modern-day Syria, not much of a threat to Israel and the United States anymore. Midian, Gideon killed males and kings in this land, you find in Judges chapter 7. Sisera, 
killed by a tent peg to the brain by Deborah, a judge mentioned in Judges 4 through 5. Jabin at the brook of Kishon, he was destroyed in Judges 4 through 5. Oreb and Zeb, they were beheaded during Gideon's battle against the Midianites in Judges chapter 7. Zebah and Zalmunna, Midian kings, captured and executed by Gideon in Judges 8. How is all this history relevant to us today? Well, when we pray, we would be wise to reflect on all that God has done for us. Take time for a minute or two to reflect on how God has conquered your enemies, flesh and blood as well as spiritual. Spiritual warfare is real. Why? Why are Christians attacked in the spiritual realm? Paul understood this in Ephesians chapter 6. He knew each of the churches were dealing with constant attacks, both from the flesh and blood enemies, as well as spiritual warfare. But he asked the church to focus more on the spiritual realm. Asaph's focus in Psalm 83 was more on the physical realm. Why is it wise for Christians to pray about both? Now before you were saved, Satan could care less about you. He knew you were headed for hell and your actions led to death and more death, not just for you, but everyone around you and that pleased him but once you were saved and regenerated you instantly became an enemy of Satan because you had the light and would shine through the darkness and your light spreads to others and can lead them to Christ and Satan can't stand for that to happen even though he knows the end of the Bible he was there when it was being written he still fights against us he knows we are already victorious in Christ but yet he still fights against us. Do you know you are already victorious in Christ? We fall to the enemy when we forget. Asaph lists all the enemies of God's people and reminds them how the enemies were destroyed by God. Lands that are now modern-day Iran, Palestine, Syria, and Arab nations. Do any of them pose a serious threat to the United States or Israel any longer? Well, not like they used to. God has protected Israel and used the United States to fight against these enemies. And we continue to fight against them, and the Lord has greatly blessed our nation for protecting Israel. I believe as long as the United States stays on the side of Israel and defends her, we will be blessed by the Lord. Asaph then provides a prayer for our enemies. We Christians have many enemies. Many Christians are being persecuted as I speak this lesson. Imprisonment, torture, and death threaten Christians in countries all over the world. But we need to let God handle our enemies. We just keep praying for them. Jesus instructed us to pray for our enemies, which was a new and unusual command for the people around him. Jesus introduced something new to the people of Israel, yet it was not something entirely new. Jewish leaders just hadn't reminded the people of Asaph's psalm. Jesus did remind the people that we are to pray for our enemies. He said in Matthew 5, Love your enemies, bless those who hate you, do good to those who curse you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Wow, Jesus actually commands us to not only pray for our enemies, but to love them. And then he further details just who the enemy is. The one who curses you, who hates you, who spitefully uses you, 
and persecutes you. Why? Why would Jesus command such a thing of his people? Because he knew that one day soon we all would be his enemies. We all would curse him and hate him and use him and spitefully hate him and persecute him and then he would love us, pray for us, and die a horrible death for us. Now that's the perfect picture of what loving your enemies looks like. Life application. So how can we apply all that we've learned so far in Psalm 83? Well, we learn to list all of the ways God has protected us by conquering the enemy for us. In doing so, we glorify him and not ourselves. Next, we learn that we are commanded to pray for our enemies and love them. Wow, how easy is that? Considering who our enemies are, it can be rather difficult to pray for them, right? But in Psalm 83, Asaph provides a way. In talking about the enemies of God, he said, Oh my God, make them like whirling dust, like the chaff before the wind. As the fire burns the wood, and as the flame sets the mountains on fire, so pursue them with your tempest, and frighten them with your storm. Fill their faces with shame, that they may seek your name, O Lord. Let them be confounded and dismayed forever. Yes, let them be put to shame and perish, that they may know that you, whose name alone is the Lord, are the Most High over all the earth. The United States has a long list of governments that would love to see us destroyed and wiped from the earth, mostly because we do support and protect Israel. We must learn how to pray for our enemies. I pray over our president, our governor, our mayor, everybody who is a leader over us. Today I pray this prayer over the United States and our president, and God has answered my prayers consistently. Oh, make the enemies of God and our country like the whirling dust, like chaff before the wind. So pursue them with your tempest and frighten them with your storm. We are still at war. Many people forget that, but the United States is still at war, and we have soldiers and Marines in harm's way. And we need to pray for them every day. Why? To God be the glory that's why we should pray. We ask God to fill their faces, the enemy's faces, with shame, that they may know your name, O Lord. Fill their faces with shame, that they may seek your name, O Lord. Let them be confounded and dismayed forever. Yes, let them be put to shame and perish, that they may know that you, whose name alone is Lord, are the Most High over all the earth. Just like Jesus, our focus should be on God. When we pray for our enemies the way Jesus prayed for us, our focus is on God. He constantly turned our eyes to his Father. So pray for your physical enemies to be turned over to the one true God and live. For the spiritual realm, we aren't to pray for them to seek after God because the demons, well, they never will. They are not redeemable. Jesus didn't die for them, but he died for us. Therefore, Paul tells us to prepare ourselves for battle against the enemy. As we know, God allows us to be attacked spiritually, that we may be stronger in the faith to serve him. Paul wrote in Ephesians 6, verse 10, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the 
whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. In preparing ourselves for this battle, we can then serve God and further the gospel message as Paul did. And he wrote in verse 19, And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So pray for the physical enemies of God, and remember how he has dealt with them in the past, so there's no reason to fear. We are already victorious. And focus your prayer on God's mighty power, all for the purpose of their turning to God and worshiping Him and seeing Him as the Most High over all the earth. Finally, pray for God to protect you from the spiritual realm that seeks to destroy you. Again, remember the times when God did conquer this enemy once and for all when He raised Jesus from the dead. Now that you are in Jesus, you too are victorious over the enemies. Never forget that. Never forget who you are in Christ. Thanks for joining me as we looked at Psalm 83, one of my most favorite go-to psalms, to teach us how to pray for those who are against us, to love our enemies, and hope that they turn to the one true God. I hope that you've been blessed and encouraged. Take what you've learned and share it with others. And until next time, God bless.